Happy Cantate Sunday. Good to see all of you, although it is May, which you wouldn't believe is the busiest month in the church. So, you know, it's not a surprise that, you know, half the people are gone. May is uh, busier than Easter and busier than Christmas just because of all the things everybody's got to do. Thanks for coming to church. So this is it for me. Uh, now, next week, however, Sunday school goes one more week, although this is the kind of Sunday school you'd want to belong to. Next week is free ice cream at Kimmer's. So I've talked with Pastor Nelson, you're all invited. So and it's only us at Kimmer's. They open early just for St. John. So it'll be just the kids from Sunday school, although this is the kind of adult supervision they could need. Dwight, you'd be the kind of guy if you were to get a triple scoop, cone cup, it doesn't matter. Get sprinkles if you like. It's all on St. John, okay? So knock yourself out. But if, there's, there's no... Uh, Everything kind of ends up again next week. So uh, if you want to go, go have some. It actually is fun, and the kids are great, and you'll bump into kids you maybe haven't met before, and uh, maybe some parents too. So it's a, it's a nice young thing. We've been doing this for years. I mean, a decade going to Kimmer. They're good, uh, they're good folks, and they open up for us at odd hours, so it's kind of nice. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Cantate Sunday. Sing to the Lord a new song. He's done marvelous things. O God, our Heavenly Father, who through your Son has promised your Holy Spirit, send down upon us that same Spirit that he teach us to show forth your praise. And only here on earth, though we live in weakness, lead us to power and glory that only comes from afar. The power and glory of the day when with you, you with all your angels, will return and we'll see you face to face. We pray this, Heavenly Father, through Christ our Lord. Amen. That's an interesting prayer. Uh, Kleining was the guy who said to me, you know, he made this, you know, the stuff that he says over the years, but you don't possess the Holy Spirit. You pray for him every day to come fill you. So it was very interesting to kind of see that in that prayer. Um, so if you're on the fence, you might just go ahead and pray for it. That'd be good for you. So, so much to do, it seems. You know, this last one, I have so much written in, but <clears throat> maybe not quite as much as, as you want. And what's interesting is, as I've read through this over the past couple of days, um, the same things always emerge. And so I want to try to move you toward being a person, a Christian who's confident but not angry, and understands the world but is not afraid. And actually, uh, kind of the punchline at the end is for folks to come back to church. So I know I've got people listening who haven't come back to church. It's really important to come back to church. And I want to end by talking about why that's so important for you to be physically present here. But anyway, here we go. Point number one. I'm going, to try to, I'm going to try to stay with the outline and not go stream of consciousness on you. Uh, you know, slowly things are get better. It's been a tough couple of years. Uh, everybody knows that. What's interesting is when I talk to people, they can start to see things that have been positive over the past couple of years. There were a few positives. But, uh, you know, we're just going to keep going. And one of the reasons our perspective is clouded is that we had such an advantage that the Western world was dominated primarily by the Christian church over the last 1,000 or 1,500 years. Uh, and at least the church was a friend. And there's been this um, unbelievable shift in the last decade, especially, where the church is not in favor, not just neutral, but really fallen out of favor and a thing to be hated. And that has concerned many Christians. And for some good reasons, it, it should concern us. Uh, on the other hand, the church hasn't always acted in a way that looks anything like Christ. It's been actually absolutely demonic in some ways. 
So, uh, you know, that's always going to happen. There's always going to be this push and pull about what the church does and what its place is. But we're probably more like the early church, more like the first two or three hundred years after Jesus than we have been in a very, very long time. Just to kind of show you this, I give you from the Didache. So this is written 70 AD. It's probably a manual. So after people read the Gospels and got some of the epistles, then they're like, okay, so practically speaking, how do we live together as a church? Which, of course, is always what we're doing. Practically speaking, how do we live together as a church? How do we live in our world, right? And then the thing that's always kind of self-pitying is to say, ah, there's never been a time like this, and nobody's ever had it as hard as me. What is striking, if you just read the couple of lines here, is you're like, this, is, this, is, you could, this could have been in the New York Times this morning, right? The second commandment of our teaching, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not seduce boys. Now, part of that is that uh, in the Greek world, uh, part of mentor, mentorship of young boys included not just um, creating favor and creating networks, but sex was a normal part of male mentors with young boys. It was just part of the deal, right? And so Christians say, hey, we don't seduce young boys. Now, see, we, we <laughs> it's just so interesting, right? So we think we're so odd in saying what the world's doing, we're not doing this. Christians in the early church are like, hey, that doesn't respect the dignity of a young boy. That doesn't respect um, his uh, intellectual development. It doesn't respect morality. It doesn't respect creation. So, you know, we're just as we've always been. It's just that the world kind of shifts around us. We have to hold on to the things that are important. Um, you shall not commit fornication. You shall not steal. You shall not practice magic, which is, you know, just over-the-top uptick. I mean, everybody practices magic. People hire, you know, witches and, and psychics for corporate parties now, and I can give you the names of the companies if you want. And you kind of go, huh, you know, at the very least, uh, where's separation of church and state in that? If you hired a priest to come in, nobody would think that was a good idea at a corporate party. But if you hire a psychic or a witch to come in, people think that's clever and kind of edgy. Yeah, okay. Um, you shall not practice magic. You shall not use potions, like cast spells, use potions, right? You shall not procure an abortion. You shall not destroy a newborn child. And so these were two things that were very common in the ancient world. One, to have an abortion. And two is, if you didn't like a child, and for example, especially if you were born a daughter rather than a son, you could expose the child. You just put it outside and waited for somebody to eat it, take it, or let it die. It was just, just accepted practice. So, um, you know, life isn't as different now as it was then. Now you have to remember, too, people were being burned at the stake, skinned alive, you know, cooked on grills and thrown to the lions. There is a downside to not being the majority bit, but at least you should, you know, you're not alone. Maybe that's the takeaway here. So my big point is there's no sense being angry and afraid. Christians are very much preoccupied now with being angry and with being afraid. And, you know, there is a righteous anger, but most people aren't very good at it. And you sh if you're angry, you should check your anger and make sure that it's at best righteous. And people are very, very afraid. And in some sense, you know, you should, you should be afraid, but not in a debilitating way. So you had this very interesting uh, quote, margin comment in the bulletin this morning from the Bishop of Philadelphia, Archbishop of Philadelphia, where he said, uh, mercy destroys evil. It's a very interesting idea. We don't think of mercy that way. 
Mercy destroys evil quickly, I think he says. Okay. So you have to think all this through. Now, to do all this, of course, you have to know what's good and you have to know what's evil. So I've turned the page and just given you a couple things to think about. Honor Christ, love the church, embrace the saints. Martyrs matter. Martyr is the technical word for people who give a confession and are killed for it. So St. Stephen gives a confession, is stoned. Eleven of the twelve apostles are, um, are, are martyred. The only one that survived is St. John. And this is kind of how normal life works. I'm not saying you should capitulate to this. Uh, what I'm saying is you need to be sort of steely-eyed about it. You've got to figure out what's right and wrong and live for it and take the consequences. You're also quite free to change the system and move things around so you don't have to take unnecessary or unjust consequences. But those, that's such a big issue. Um, there's so much to talk about there. But you can do it if you do what's in the next part, which is Colossians, where, and this is what we've done the last two weeks, so we're not going to do it again, you put some things off, evil things, you put some things on, good things, and you sort your life by what's good and what's evil. Put on, put off, embrace, kill, set your mind on this, don't focus on that. And I've sort of given you this page, which we've done the last couple of weeks, right? So there are some things in your life you need to put to death, and there are some things in life you need to enliven. There are some things you need to chase, and there are some things you need to run the other way. You need to flee. You chase some things, you flee. It just boils down to this, always boils down to touch good, don't touch evil. It's as simple as life gets, but you have to know what good and evil are. Now the good news, and I'm clear at the bottom of the page, is that Jesus' words have this sort of unique ability to do a bunch of things at once. So they're potent enough to resurrect us, they're sticky enough to stay inside of us, they're toxic enough to kill evil. So what do you do with somebody who is demonic? Or what do you do with somebody who has a sin that they just can't get over? Or what do you do with people who don't recognize they have sins that they can't get over? What do you do? You touch the word of God to them, you touch the sacraments to them. So they're toxic enough to kill the evil and yet vibrant enough to nourish holiness. And these words then stay inside us and they do all the things that are important. They embrace us and they forgive us and they cleanse us and they guide us and so forward we go. Now, if you need to, this is still kind of picking up from last week, if you need to figure this out in a word, you know, it's love. So all good, to love is to do good. All good flows from love. Love is the mother of all the other virtues. Love is the thing that binds us together. But it's not the sort of love is love is love is love talk that kind of goes on kind of, you know, quite easily, which just basically means everybody has license to do whatever they want. No, love means to always do good for the other. It's this agopic love that comes from the heart of God, that's given to you at your baptism, that's nourished in you at the Holy, at the Holy Supper, where you can look at another person and favor them above yourself. It's very common in being a parent. It's very common in having good friends. It's very common in good churches. It's common in good families. What's the thing that binds all those together as we talked about last week? What's the thing that holds it all together? What's the thing that comes and holds your family together? What is it? What holds your church together? What is the thing? It is knowing that you put me first and I put you first. 
and people are stumbling over each other to love not just the likable, but even the unlikable. So, um, and I just want to try to expand that to everybody everywhere. One of the really real problems with Christianity today, one of the great problems, and even in the Missouri Senate, one of the great problems is this great inward focus. People are so angry and so afraid, they've lost all mission impulse. So they've withdrawn. There's a, there's a group of folks who have withdrawn and basically say, to hell with the world, you know, where I'm going to protect my own and we'll just, you know, get our fences up and we'll only, you know, be in touch with other families that we know and you could, my kids can only meet other kids who are... I mean, okay, in some sense, like every heresy, there's some truth in that. You know, every heresy is just off-center, you know, 10 or 12 or 17 degrees off true north. That's what makes it a heresy. The problem with that notion is that the Christian church is built on Jesus' mandate that we make disciples of everybody everywhere. Go make disciples, baptizing and teaching everything that I've left behind so they learn to treasure it up in their hearts. If you only ever talk to the people you know, if you only ever talk to the people like you, your world gets extraordinarily small. And that's happening with a lot of Christians and it's happening in the Missouri Senate and it's a great sadness. So I just, I just give you fair warning about that. Yes, of course it's painful to engage other people. Yes, of course it's dangerous. Yes. But that's the reason you need to be everywhere, to get the Eucharist, to be baptized, to have your friends. So when you go out, you have a place to come back to that is a place of strength. So all that in point number one. I'm just at point number two. Um, much of this I've done, but I just want to sum for you like three bullet points down. Once we've been roused from the dead, your life is this. You hate the things you used to love and love the things you used to hate. That's as simple as it gets. And I've given you the text there. You can go back and check it. And, you know, the, the big thing that seems most constrictive for us in our world today is that we don't get to choose what we love and hate. You can look to your left right now and you can look to the right. The person sitting next to you, you do not have the choice whether or not to love or be kind or favor or advance that person. Jesus is kind to that person and loves them and favors them and advances them. Your choice, faith agrees, your choice is only to do as Jesus says. And that's the part where we fall down. And so uh, it is actually one of the things that makes St. John really, really fabulous because most folks here have absorbed that and uh, you know, sort of aim at that. But faith is about doing as Jesus does. You know, John 2, the marriage at Cana. Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. you know, if you can't remember touch evil or, or touch good and don't touch evil, you could remember this, do whatever he tells you. It means exactly the same thing. Do whatever he tells you. It's a secret to life. And so uh, we live then in a world where obedience and freedom are the same. And so we're not a sect or a cult. And if you see signs of us becoming a sect or a cult, you should run the other way. I'm turning the page. So uh, Jesus doesn't withdraw from the world and we don't withdraw from the world either. And you can see that in the liturgy of the church. You can see that in what the church does. So I give you this prayer from... 
St. Clement, who was the first Pope of Rome, you know, praying like this, they tied him to an anchor and they dropped him off the side of the boat in 99 AD. We beg you, Lord, help and defend us. You know how you should help and defend us? You know what we need? Deliver the oppressed, have compassion on the despised, raise the fallen, reveal yourself to the needy, heal the sick. He doesn't just say, only for the members of St. John or only the members of our denomination, be good to them and everybody else can go straight to hell. That's not what this says. This is just like Acts 2, right? So 100 years in, they're still saying the same thing. Bring back those who have strayed, feed the hungry, lift the weak, remove the prisoners, change. May every nation, there it is, right? May everybody everywhere come to know that you are God alone, that Jesus is your son, that we're your people, the sheep are your pastor, amen. That's the sort of prayer that got him killed in the Roman Empire. So when we think that we've got it so hard or nobody's ever seen it like this before, everybody calm down, right? That doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult. That doesn't mean we don't have to stick together, work hard, protect ourselves, use the common mechanisms to advance justice, all these sorts of things. But this self-pitying, or it's never been this way before, or I'm going to nurture my anger as a strategy, which seems to be the most popular thing in America on all sides right now, or other people are subhuman, or anybody who disagrees with me is evil, or you can say anything you want as long as you say what I say. Right? So, um, now, the begin of my appeal for people to come back to church. Um, this text from Durham Cathedral, which we've run several times before. What's important for all of us to remember is that the church doesn't begin and end with us. Right? We're going to have a new vicar in a moment, uh, you know, a week or two, he's going to show up. And if he's like all other vicars, they will think that St. John starts on the day that they arrived. <laughs> and I always have to say, <laughs> you've stepped into a moving stream. We've already been here a while. Just relax. We'll sort of, you know, get an inner tube, pump it up, grab a cold six-pack and jump in the water. You'll float along with us and it'll be fine. By the time you realize the Grateful Dead is playing in the tube behind you, it's all going to be okay. All right? So, you know. Uh, the same for you. I mean, sometimes we think the church is all about us and we get to choose whether to go or not. Come on, what are you, crazy? The church has been going on forever. If not, you should just take a cathedral tour. Go to England and, you know, go to ten cathedrals. You'll figure out, you know, when you bump into the venerable the beads casket in Durham Cathedral, you'll be like, ah, okay, you know, he's been lying here for 1,600 years. Maybe it did start before me. Right? So where does Jesus touch his people? Where does Jesus promise to be? Luther says, even a kid knows this. It's in church. It's where God gathers his people and reads the gospel and baptizes kids and gives out the Holy Supper. That's where it happens. So, I mean, this is much more elegantly said. Hey, we're just part of a bigger thing. That's good. You're dropping in on a conversation in progress. If you don't understand everything, don't worry. You don't even understand everything when you go to the grocery store. You look at stuff in the, you know, in the aisle from Bulgaria and you're like, I wonder what they do with that, right? You don't, you don't, you don't know what's going on. Just calm down. You know, maybe you'll figure out, uh, you know, don't be surprised or disturbed if there are things here that you don't understand straight away because, two, two lines down, everything here is drawn from the Bible. And later I'm going to say to you, I'm going to retranslate for you the thing where it says obey your pastors, which I just want to kind of soften up for you. It just says... It basically means give your pastor the benefit of the doubt or 
Maybe you'd give it a try before you dismiss it out of hand. It's interesting how that comes at the end of Hebrews. You just like, you should just like take a big breath and play along and see what happens, right? So, um, I mean, if I don't keep going, I'm not going to get to the Foo Fighters. So um, I'm at point number four. You know, this brilliant thing, which I'm, I'm sure was written by Norman Nagel, who I still am convinced is uh, few people understood that. But this is what you're coming for, specifically Lutheran. Our Lord speaks and we listen. We say back to God what God has said to us. Um, this is where you get the word homily, homo legeo. Homo, same, legeo word in Greek, homo legeo. We say the same things that Jesus says. So I say to you what Jesus says, you say back to me what Jesus says. That's no different from what I just said five minutes ago when I said, I love you the way Jesus loves you, and you love me the way Jesus loves me. It all fits together. It's seamless. Boom, 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 boom. The Christian life. Touch good, don't touch evil. What is the Christian life? Love your neighbor as yourself. What's your Christian life? Do whatever he tells you, right? What's a Christian life? Bear up under all circumstances. St. Polycarp, 94, denounce Christ. I can't possibly denounce him. He's always been good to me. They put him on a grill and they, then, you know, from the fire he cries out, turn me over, this side is done, right? So the devil hates ridicule. The one thing, the, the only virtue the devil can't imitate is humility. And humility, the opposite of humility is pride. And pride takes itself too seriously. And so you can insult the devil. It's one way to get by. The other way is a good joke, right? It's the devil has no sense of humor. God has a fabulous sense of humor. You'll find out when you see all the people who are in heaven that you didn't expect to see. But that's another whole other lecture, okay? So our bit is the living heritage is something new. And you should just occasionally read that. That was the first page in the, old, the last edition hymnal. And it was geniusly written. We come, we receive, we add our best, we carry on, and then the people who come after us do the same thing. It's all good. We build one another up as we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so five, and I did this for you extensively for a week or two, you're just walking along to Emmaus. When you walk in the church today, what happens to, the, to you is what happens to those guys on Emmaus. Jesus joins them. Then he walks with them, then he opens the scriptures and explains them, then he has the Holy Supper, and then he disappears, and then they say, we've never experienced anything like that. That was life-changing. It's completely different from our normal experience. Didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures for us? Which, of course, is another reason for you to be here. There isn't any place else where people are going to open the scriptures for you. Right? I mean, I'm not talking about just St. John, of course. Church, big C, church Catholic, right? I mean, there's no place else you're going to get the Eucharist. When people always say, I got a tea time at 8 and I feel closer to God than I, you know, than I, in the golf course and I do at church, I'm always like, yeah, I've seen you hit it out of bounds, number one. And two, uh, there's no Eucharist at the turn. So church is the place for you. Now, then, now I'm all the way to six, which is what I wanted to spend my last moments with. First is uh, this notion of the third commandment. And see, this is our thing about we don't get law and gospel right, and so we think of the whole Ten Commandments as a threat rather than a blessing. 
And we hear the Sermon on the Mount, which recapitulates the Ten Commandments as something we could never do and only ever just wounds us, as opposed to the Third Commandment, as the Lord says, hey, remember the Sabbath day. And then he tells them what that means. Remember, I brought you out of Egypt. Remember, I loved you even when you were unlovable. Remember, I'm always going to stick by you. And life's hard. So once a week on the Sabbath day, you come and you rest and I will care for you. As opposed to every other religion in the world. When people say there's no differences between religion, you're kind of like, don't be stupid. Look, every other religion, you have to serve God. Only in Christianity does God serve you. So you come here and God gives you his gifts. He loves you, he talks to you, he holds you close, he listens to you. It's everything you would want in a human relationship and you're getting it from the creator of the universe. It's remarkable stuff. Why would you ever miss that? And this isn't about like, you're going straight to hell if you don't go to church. It's more like, there's a million dollar shit. Could you pop by and pick it up? You know, this is, you kind of go, this is, you can't get this anywhere else. And so, you know, you pray for his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit enters you. And as he inspirits you, it pushes the evil out of you. And as you take the body and blood, you know, it's like a repellent for evil things. It pushes the demons away. And at the moment when you come to your death, you will say, this is the reason I'll live forever. And so death becomes your friend. Why would you miss church? Right? And so I'm just going to give you a couple of texts, right? You probably know these, but at the bottom under number six, uh, just a little bit from Hebrews, which, um, you know, is a genius of a book, gives you the basics, and then the last few chapters sort of wrap up how the church lives. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, partly what you have to understand is you actually get to come into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. In other cultures and other religions, when you approach the gods, you have to, in some sense, wound yourself, redeem yourself, sacrifice children, you know, uh, bring some kind of offering. If you don't believe me, get, I'll buy you a subscription to National Geographic. It's filled with, you know, time after time, people who have been left behind or sacrificed in order to appease the gods. God sacrifices himself. Good Friday, to appease himself so you can be free. So you come here and you receive this great gift. You confidently can come to church. It's like everything else. It's like our spouses. It's like our parents. It's like our kids. It's our jobs. It's the people around us, our friends. They're good enough to us that we begin to take them for granted. It's no different than with God. He's so good to us, we take him for granted. Right? And he's patient, of course, but you know, you know this yourself. If you have a good friend who takes you for granted or your spouse takes you for granted or your kids never say thank you, it wears you down. Right? I mean, think about God with a whole, you know, I mean, think about Jesus, you know, the suffering of Good Friday. Nobody can say thanks. You're kind of like, you know, I, re I remind you of that man who loved his wife so much he almost told her. Right? Yeah, it's not even that funny. You kind of go, ugh. So um, we have confidence to go here. We, have, we can go through the curtain, old reference to the temple, turn your name. And then, for you people, you red hymnal people, look at this, the top of the page, there it is. 
Let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins. On the, right? There it is. That's where they got it. Right? Uh, you're, suddenly you're, you have warm feelings washing over you. That's beautiful, right? It's beautiful, good for you. Uh, wait for Lent, next Advent. We'll come back to it. Then, here you go. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And then, and this is see what you don't understand and I don't understand. If I ask you why you come to church today, you're going to say something about you. This is how confused you are. You came to church this morning for me. And if you ask me why I come to church, I'm going to say something about I needed or I wanted or I had to. That's dumb. I came to church this morning for you. But we are so siloed. We're so individualized. We're so, especially in Wheaton, with this personal, private God that, you know, just God and I will work it out together. That's utter nonsense. It has nothing to do with the body, with the community, with being baptized into a thing, with stepping into a moving stream, with homo to go. It has nothing to do with any of that. Right? Let's consider that we should come to church for other people. Right? So all you people who are listening who haven't been to church for the last two years, you owe me like 104 personal meetings. And I'll be retired soon, and I'll be willing to accept them, probably at Cantini over brunch. Let me know. I'm available, okay? Let's consider how we can stir one another, how we can help each other, how we can encourage each other, how we can do some good, how we can not just think about ourselves. It's, you know, this place is fabulous. I mean, you just think about Nelson running all those kids down to Kimmer's, like it'll be like, it's going to be fabulous. And yet, right, it's just not about us. It's about how we can help other people. So, Let's consider how to stir one another up to love and good works and not neglect each other, as is the habit of some. People get in bad habits, right? As people stop coming to church. But, and again, same word, encouraging one another. I'm going to, for time and cowardice, I'm going to flip the page about this part about obeying your pastor and just move on. If you want to talk about that sometime, Patrick Bynes, he's a smart guy. He could tell you all about this. And he'll also sort out all those courses, all those texts about women obey your husband. So that Bynes is your guy right there, okay? So talk to him. He'd be happy to, I mean, he's the chair of the department, for goodness sakes. He's a genius. He's a nice man, too. But I give you then 2 Corinthians 1, right? Now, what's interesting about this word that's translated comfort, this is the word for paraclete, and all the words that are derived from this. Uh, paraclete is the word for the one, one name for the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our advocate, but it also has this notion of encouragement. And some translations translate the word. And it's, I'm not saying you should abandon the notion of comfort, but there's another dimension when you translate it encouragement. So just listen to it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all encouragement, who encourages us in our afflictions. I would say to you, that's what you need when you're afflicted, when you're sick. The encouragement of a friend who comes to visit or does a little work for you or helps you so that we'd be able to encourage those. Look at that. So God encourages you so that you can encourage other people. I come to church for you. You come to church for me with the encouragement which we ourselves have received from God, with the same encouragement by which we've been encouraged by God. We share in Christ's sufferings, 
we also share in his encouragement. That's real life. We suffer. Everybody suffers. And as I've often said to you, suffering is many times a lesson to be learned and not a problem to be solved. Solve it if you can. But if you can't solve it, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. There's just another use for that suffering. But in the end, I can't make you do anything, right? So after all these years of, you know, being here, you know, this is kind of what I go home and say to myself. Well, I can't make anybody do anything. But I thought if you wouldn't listen to me, you might listen to the Foo Fighters, right? Because you're all a bunch of old hippies. So, I mean, here you go. Dave Grohl, look at this. This is brilliantly written. This came out at the beginning of the pandemic. When I read this, I thought to myself, this is church. Look at this right? Unfortunately, today's life music is reduced to unflattering little windows, to distorted transmissions, to stuttered and compressed delivery, right? Which is just how church was. Everything that was wonderful got stunted. I'm hungry for a big old plate of sweaty, ear-shredding, live rock and roll ASAP, the kind that makes your heart race, your body move, and your soul stir with passion. You do not have that when you're home alone listening to the tape. There is nothing like the energy and atmosphere of live music. It is the most life-affirming experience, encouragement, paraclete, to see your favorite performer on stage in the flesh. And now just a little bit about Springsteen. So you can love him or hate him, but he's the boss, so don't cross him, okay? Right? So Springsteen shows up at their concert one night. He's a little nervous. A uh, couple things happen. He talks to him, and Springsteen stays for the show. He, was, he, was come to see, he came to see the opening act. He stays for the show. Now, he says, he's, I was reminded again the reason millions of people identify with him. He is real. You can love him or you can hate him. Actually, if you want Kendall to love you, I mean, if you could get Kendall tickets to Springsteen, kind of up front somewhere. I mean, either that or the dead, but Springsteen would probably be better for him because most of the dead, frankly, are dead. So, uh, you know, but then look at this, right? He very generously thanked us. I'm just reading the bold parts and commented on performance, specifically the rapport we seem to have with our audience. This is community. This is church. This is liturgy. This is together, Right? When we asked him where he watched the show, he said he stood in the crowd just like everybody else. Can you imagine going to see the Foo Fighters and Springsteen is standing next to you? You're like, of course he did. He was searching for that connection too. And that's the thing that's missed when you're not here. You might think you're part of this. You're not part of this. And if you're part of this only by, you know, hearing about it, the connection is tenuous. And that's an emergency situation. That is not the normal way of church. A few days later, I got a letter on handwritten. He says, when you look out at the audience, you should see yourself in them just as they seek themselves in you. If I taught seminary right after we watched um, Jiro Makes Sushi, Jiro Makes Sushi, isn't that the name of it? We'd watch Jiro Makes Sushi. Have you seen it? Yeah. That's the first thing a pastor should do. And then we would, you know, we'd go to a Foo Fighters concert. 
Because this is, when I look at you, I should see me. When you look at me, you should see you. This connection, we see each other in each other, right? They should see themselves in you. I should see myself in you. You should see yourself in me. Go back and read that Hebrews part about being the pastor and listen to the pastor. What's happening there? I see myself in you. You see yourself in me. We're all in it together, boys and girls, right? And it only goes as far as you want it to go because I can't make you do anything. However, you know, if you can play like Dave Grohl, then what happens? People show up. And so the incessant, for decades, emphasis on beauty and community and mercy and Christology. Why? Because those are the things that are not available on the golf course or down the street. They are only available here. So it's not just you have to have them. You've got to have them in spades. You've got to have them in a way that connects with people so that they see, you know, I look out and see you in me. And in, in, when you look at me, you see you, right? This connection. And so, you know, each night when I tell the lighting manager, light them up, I do so because I need that room to shrink. In today's world of fear and unease and social distancing, it's hard to imagine sharing experience like this ever again. And frankly, you know, I still get this. The fear level, you know, it's subsided somewhat, but there's a residual fear where people go, is it ever going to be the same? It'll be the same if you make it the same. But we do know that we will do it again because we have to. It's not a choice. We're human. We need moments that reassure us that we're not alone, that we are understood, that we are imperfect, and most important, that we need each other. I mean, this is like genius. I have shared my music, my words, my life with people who have come to see our shows, and they have shared their voices with me. Without that audience, that screaming, sweating audience, this is great, my words would only be sound. What's the point? The point is the connection. But together we are instruments in a sonic cathedral. It's interesting he has to borrow from the church, right, to finally make his point. Together we are instruments in a sonic cathedral, one that we built together night after night, and one that we'll surely build again. I mean, this is just like, that's, that's, that's off-the-hook theology. So, um, you know, exercise your privilege to be here. And, you know, the rest of this you can kind of sort through. I just gave it because I wanted to remind you how it plays out. But I will take you to number eight just to close. And then you can read the two bits on death maybe by yourself. I had referred to this passage a few weeks ago um, that we had things upside down, that we have this um, presupposition that life is beautiful and then every time something goes wrong we're so surprised by it. The biblical way to look at the world is that it is broken and lost. It's defiled, even in the epistle or the Old Testament today, the Acts reading. The distinction is between what's holy and what is common, which is kind of a, 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 a it's actually grippable, right? Because usually the distinction is being holy and defiled, and then we get all snooty about what defiled is, and you know we're not really that bad. It was interesting in the, listen, if you haven't been to church yet, in the Acts reading today, it says um, the distinction and the vision for Peter is uh, between what's holy. I've only eaten what is holy. I've never eaten what is 
common, right? I'm sure that word can be, I've got to peek at it, but I'm sure it can be understood as defiled, but it's so accessible in that way. So here's the deal. The world is a broken place. You know that. And part of the reason you come here is to be surrounded with people who encourage you and bring you joy so that when you see joy, you recognize it and that it matters and you grasp it. This is, this is kind of genius of, you know, old man. Learn the discipline of being surprised, not by suffering, but by joy. <laughs> There's a guy in New York who said to me once, we're all just sitting around waiting to get cancer. Learn to be surprised, not by evil, but by joy. As we grow old, there is suffering ahead of us, immense suffering, a suffering that will continue to tempt us to think that we've chosen the wrong road. This is right where the church is. Why are people not going to church? Because many people are not convinced they they took a wrong turn and there's still some time to soothe themselves, to self-medicate, right? To enjoy something. But don't be surprised by pain Be surprised by joy. Be surprised by the little flower that shows its beauty in the midst of a barren desert. And be surprised by the immense healing power that keeps bursting forth like springs of fresh water from the depths of our pain. Turn the page really quickly, just a minute or two. Again, these people who kind of are at another level understanding. Abba Benjamin's dying, right? The boys come and say, how can we be saved? Be joyful at all times. Ah, if you observe the following, you can be saved. One thing, be joyful at all times, pray without ceasing, and give thanks for all things. Right, so everything's received as a gift and a blessing. And then, I just give you these last two things, because I know I've talked to several of you about death over the past few years. I, there's a little bit of a run on death, given um, some of the troubles we had and the fear that followed. And of course, it can be a fearsome thing, and it's always difficult. We're undone by it. But I give you two things, one from the Pope, you know, so this is partly for, you know, quell your Catholic, your anti-Catholic bias just a touch. And then, um, you know, again from now on, right? Pope Benedict, 94, he knows he's dying, everybody knows he's dying. Quite soon I shall find myself before the judge of my life. Even though as I look back on my long life, I can have great reason for fear and trembling, which if you're honest, you can have that too. I am nonetheless of good cheer. Look, he chooses for joy. For I trust firmly that the Lord is not only the just judge, but also the friend and brother who himself has already suffered for my shortcomings. And this is also my advocate. There's the word again. Jesus, not just the Holy Spirit. Jesus, my paraclete, the one who speaks up for me. In light of the hour of judgment, the grace of being a Christian becomes all the more clear to me. It grants me knowledge, indeed friendship, with the judge of my life, and thus allows me to pass confidently through the dark door of death. Yeah, it's dark, right? But you pass through it confidently. And then, just to encourage you a little bit, final thing. One thing we know for sure about our God is this. God is a God of living, not the dead. God is life. God is love. God is beauty. God is goodness. God is truth. God doesn't want us to die. God wants us to live. Our God who loves us from eternity to eternity wants to give us life for eternity. If you're worried about your own death or if COVID, you know, over these past two years somehow made you, gave you an outsized, outsized fear of this, you probably should memorize this. And you should say it over and over until you forget what you were afraid of. 
because, I mean, the baby Jesus is bigger than COVID, so relax. When that life was interrupted by our unwillingness to give our full yes to God's love, God sent his son to be with us and to say that great yes in our name and thus restore us to eternal life. So let's not be afraid. And guess what? While you're at it, let's not be angry. There is no cruel boss, no vengeful enemy, no cruel timer waiting to destroy us. Only a loving, always forgiving, eager to welcome us home, God. That is it, right? So no excuses. Let's get going, okay? Love you. Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks, friends. Go for ice cream next week.